Today, we're talking to Anastasis, co-founder and CTO at Runway, about the intersection of generative AI and video production. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. And I did see that you were the co-founder. And so I was hoping you could set me up with like just a brief explanation of what Runway is. Runway is an applied research company, is how uh, we like to call ourselves. Uh, and what that means is that we, uh, we do fundamental research in new AI techniques and the AI models, and then we deploy them to uh, a series of tools for uh, creative teams and kind of creative individuals to be able to uh, work faster, to like make things that weren't even possible before. Uh, so the most kind of... Uh, uh, Recent uh, effort on Unrend has been around video generation. So we released a series of models that allow you to generate uh, a short video from just a text description or an initial image or a driving video. Um, and we're just very interested in how uh, generative models like AI technique can really help uh, speed up and like the processes of creators and allow them to try more ideas faster or to, to accomplish things that uh, traditionally required a really kind of large amount of resources and budget. So like, what are people building with this that they can justify? Like, I know you have a free version, but people spend money with you. Like, what are, what are people generating with this? Yeah. So runway is being used in like, uh, a lot of different parts of the, the production process. So like, if you kind of take the like pre-production, production, post-production aspect of like building, let's say a video for like um, a short film or an ad or uh, any kind of like video um, runway is used on the production side directly in some cases where you can generate some uh, some portions of your final video uh, with a, uh, a model like Chen2, which is our text or video model. Uh, but also it's being used a lot in the post-production process where uh, we have a series of kind of VFX tools like uh, for rotoscoping or for in-painting, which are very like part of like the kind of traditional editing process and they can be really time consuming tasks. Uh, so we've had those being used in uh, films like uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, used kind of runway for some of the VFX shots in the film uh, and it allowed them to perform those tasks way, way faster than more traditional techniques. Uh, and runway is also used in the pre-production stage and in pre-production you're basically ideating on ideas you're trying out, you're basically trying to figure out like pre-visualizing how the final output would look. Uh, and uh, Runway makes it really fast to basically generate kind of uh, an, uh, like a percent version of the final result. Uh, and just how the shots, each of the shots of the final uh, like video would look. And you can use those kind of internally to like pitch uh, a specific idea uh, or you can use them to kind of define how the shots will look uh, before you actually go into production. So we see Runway being used kind of all across this kind of spectrum of like uh, kind of the creative uh, workflow. How how are these like? So I have friends with Animal Logic. They make like the Magician's Elephant and Peter Rabbit, DC League of Super Pets. I got to visit their studios. You know, I've had them on a couple times over the years, and they're really, really great, brilliant people. Um, when how would the interaction with your product work? Would some of their video engineers just go to the website and just start using it? Do they create this big enterprise contract between you guys? How are people actually implementing the use of your technology in their companies? 
So both options are there. So we have, uh, as an individual, you can go to Runway, you can sign up with a free account or subscribe to one of our plans uh, and use the product directly without uh, needing to sign up for a large team account. But we have large companies using Runway. Uh, and in that, in those cases, there's more needs around like collaboration, around being able to share assets more efficiently, uh, around like training models that are specific to your use case, which is something we provide. Uh, where you, if you have a data set of images and you want to train a model just on those images of uh, uh, that you can f kind of uh, create a model using Runway. Uh, so as an individual, you can go and use Runway today, but if you are a company that has needs around collaboration and more fine-tuned use cases, uh, then uh, there's, a, uh, there's an enterprise plan where you can have those additional options. So your tool is crazy cool. You can literally type a text prompt that says claymation monkey swinging through the forest and it will create this incredibly high resolution, detailed, beautiful clip, video clip of this, you know, claymation monkey swinging through the forest. It's unbelievable. Uh, how how did you train that data set? Um yeah, I guess that that's the question. Like with the amount, like how did you gather all the video and train this or did you build on top of some like existing model? How did that go about? Yeah, so Gen 2 is essentially the culmination of research that we've been doing for for like almost since the beginning of the company. Like we, uh, we've been like, the first problem that we needed to solve quite well uh, was the image generation part. So just getting a shot to be as high fidelity and high quality as possible. Uh, and we met uh, a lot of research on the image generation side. Um, and at some point, like last year, we had this kind of breakthrough moment where image generation was finally uh, possible to use the outputs of those models into like really uh, in, into production, into build tools around those models. Uh, but that was like, it took, uh, it took years of research to basically get, get to this point. Um, and since then, like we leveraged some of the kind of um, some of the findings and some of the learnings from the architectures for image models into the kind of video domain. And what's different is that now it's not about generating a high quality initial shot, but you essentially need to uh, train a model that can uh, learn how to generate like temporally consistent like frame sequences. So uh, in a sense, you're you're starting from an image model and then you're, uh, you're retraining the image model uh, on, on video sequences, uh, on, on millions of videos and from those, the the model essentially learns like temporal dynamics, learns how things things move in space. Um, so, like the, definitely some of the learnings from the image domain have been kind of transferred on the video domain, and there's a lot of like similarities there. Uh, but we need a new kind of approach and architecture to tackle like video generation. I'm gonna only get like a little nerdy for a second, then we can come back up to a higher level. So if I have a model and I ask it to generate something, I prompt it to generate an image. That's like one part and then it taking that image and allowing it to move as I think you said in like temporal space. Does, is there additional data attached with that image because it was generated from a model that you own or can I just take any image and, and send it to the video model and it would just understand that image? You can take any image and uh, the model should be able to generate kind of complete it as a video. Whoa, that's crazy cool. So we've seen it being used with like real images. We've seen being used with uh, like uh, illustrations. Uh, we've seen being used with generated images, uh, and the model is quite versatile. So it, it's able to handle and generate motion to that corresponds to like what you would expect from that initial frame. 
I've got 700 hours of video of me interviewing people, high quality video and audio. Can I pump some of this into a model and say, you know, act like Joel hosting an interview and it just create new images of me talking to somebody? Yeah, so today you can go into Runway. We currently only have the in the app uh, the option to, to train an image model. So you can uh, you can train it on uh, uh, images of you and be able to generate kind of and and the model can generalize quite well into like if you uh, want to change the setting uh, or change aspects of of the file output, you can do that with the, the train model that you've. Uh, that you've created based on uh, like frames from your videos. So I could take a bunch of video of me and then I could say, you know, put Joel in a tank top. <laughs> and they would put Joel in a tank top. Yeah, so we have an in-painting model, which is what uh, uh, essentially we call the process of you're only changing certain regions of the image. Uh, so you can basically brush over the parts that you want to change and that the rest of the image will remain the same. And then you can describe with a prompt like how you want to kind of modify the image. Dude, that is so cool. That is so cool. How did you get involved in all of this? I've been interested in AI for quite some time. I would say from days of high school, I first like read the book about neural networks. Neural networks at that time were kind of uh, a technique that had kind of fallen out of favor. Like people were, were thinking it had no, no more promise or potential and where they were trying other techniques for uh, kind of machine learning. Uh, but there was something really compelling about this this kind of model that's biologically inspired, kind of inspired by the human, how the human brain works and, and can learn based on kind of data, like uh, rather than being explicitly taught specific aspects of the world, you can learn from data, like how uh, kind of different aspects of uh, and gain knowledge uh, in, that, in that way. So, always been interested in this topic. Um, I've also had uh, art practice uh, for for a long time. I've been uh, very interested in kind of making artwork primarily with technology. Um, so I essentially had those two separate kind of uh, careers where I was like work as an engineer um, at startups, primarily like infrastructure and kind of backend work. And at the same time, I was making kind of art on the side and uh, at some point I decided I needed to, I wanted to entirely focus on making art. And so I went to uh, this art program that's uh, at the university, kind of focused on the intersection of art and technology. And that's where I met my co-founders and we started kind of exploring like the potential of machine learning uh, and, uh, and AI in like creative domain. And really like those techniques were just starting to become powerful. I think that was around 2016, uh, 17, uh, you had those early methods that like produced like lower resolution images that weren't quite production ready, but they were so interesting. And like, even from like, an experimental point of view. Uh, so we started making like small projects together. We started making tools for filmmakers, for designers, for like architects to be able to use those techniques. Cause they, uh, especially at that point, there was a really high barrier to entry to actually be able to use them. Uh, you, you spend like hours to actually get things to work, to installing the dependencies or setting up your environment before you could actually uh, build kind of do interesting stuff with those techniques. But we saw that once artists had like were had access to those tools, uh, that they could make some really interesting work with that. Uh, my one, one of my favorite examples from those early times of uh, kind of collaborating with my co-founders was um, there was this uh, model that uh, NVIDIA had released 
um, based on uh, that was uh, trained on self-driving car footage. So basically, it would take a general like um, layout of a scene that consisted uh, entirely of like street views. So it would be things like cars, uh, pedestrians, uh, traffic signs, and based on that kind of very high-level layout, it would generate a photorealistic version of that kind of of that layout. So it would generate kind of artificial street views. Um, so it's a very like utilitarian model. It's not something that was meant for like a creative uh, use case. Uh, it was just more as part of like the research that was being done for like self-driving, uh, for improving the kind of self-driving car. Um, but we decided to take it in a kind of uh, different direction where we built this drawing tool that used that model. And essentially you could draw like uh, your own version of a street view. You could draw like um, like where the pedestrians should be or where the cars should be or where other elements of the scene should be. Uh, and then you could generate an image based on, on, that, on that kind of layout. Uh, and we had this installation where people, artists could go and try it out. Uh, and we saw people making all kinds of like surreal imagery from like that very, like, uh, that, that very, uh, kind of narrow, uh, model. So they would make, uh, kind of giant pedestrians and like tiny cars or like, uh, uh um, the rain consisting of like traffic signs were kind of falling on the ground. So that was like a first indication of you can make something that's, uh, you can take a model that's traditionally not meant to be for like creative domain or creative use cases. Uh, and you can find an interesting angle to it, uh, and you can put it in the hands of artists and they can find ways in which they can like really express an interesting vision from, uh, this like very kind of, uh, uh, not super like a creative, uh, model. That is so interesting, man. Just raining street signs. <laughs> like that makes me think about prompting, right? We use a lot of GPT type tools. Uh, I've, I've played a little bit with some of the image generation tools as well. And what I've quickly learned, is, and, I, and, I, and I lean on the creative side of things. And what I've learned is that prompting is absolutely a skill. Like the results you're going to get are directly connected to how good you are at prompting. Obviously, you've got a lot of experience prompting. Can you tell me like what makes good prompts? Yeah, so... Prompting, as I'm, as you mentioned, is a is a skill itself. I think a general misconception of how those tools work is that you can uh, there is no um, there is no learning curve that you can kind of jump in and like make amazing beautiful things out of the spot. Uh, that's not the case. Like there is a, a skill that you need to develop in how you're able to control those models. Um, I think broadly, like one general principle would say is just being as descriptive as possible uh, and then trying new keyword like being very uh, gradual with your edits on the on the prompt. So you can try adding one keyword and then seeing what the effect of that keyword would be on the final output. And then kind of you can collect over time the keywords that really match the style that you wanna, uh, that you wanna create. So that's, there's no kind of hard and fast rules around like that. Uh, it, it really depends on the style that you wanna get to. Those models are very versatile and very capable and they can generate like from like photorealistic outputs to more uh, kind of uh, uh, stylistic and like uh, things that look like 3D renders, like 2D, like pixel art, uh, like it's really kind of bound by your imagination. And it's just a matter of just exploring and iterating and just like carefully like tuning, adding like new words or like new phrases to the, and seeing what the effect of those to the final output and then kind of going from there. 
Do you think that there will be an ability? Because my strength was business software applications. I'm a software engineer and that that's where my strength was. So never any of this type of AI model generation. That's always just been hobby interest, me playing with the tools I see. But I'm curious, will we get to a point where in in the realistic future or the nearby future where I can run a prompt with a GPT or let's just say runway since that's your company. I can run a prompt with runway and it generates something and then you say, okay, well, I want to incrementally, I want to like iterate and change a keyword or two. But will we get to the point where I could converse with the model and ask it why it did something and it be able to explain it to me? Or is that beyond the scope of like this technology? Uh, that's definitely the direction that th- things are taking. So um, we're moving from um, this one round conversation where you can describe one thing and then get get an output uh, to something that's more conversational and more like a creative assistant where you can kind of continue. Uh, like, uh, and that uh, there's a few problems to solve along the way. One is like a memory system where the assistant kind of can remember what you've uh, asked in the past, like how you, what kind of style of like outputs you're trying to get, like one of the com- most common edits. But that's definitely achievable, and I think we're going to get to that point. Uh, a big focus for us has been really on getting the outputs to be as high fidelity and like high uh, quality as possible. But once that's solved, like I think there's a lot of potential interesting use cases around how you actually iterate on the outputs and how you can like do more precise precise edits. Like right now, in order to do those precise edits, you probably need to go back to a more traditional editing pro- program. Uh, to just, if you want to like make sure that the timing is fully right, if you want to uh, really match, let's say, sound the, the, the file output. But in the future, you can imagine that essentially you can prompt for the interface that you need, the interface that really responds to how you like to perform those edits, how you like to create. Uh, and then you can, uh, you can really build like a personalized version of like a creative software that's really attuned to like your own style of like and your own workflow. Um, so I don't think we're that far from getting there. Um, like it's just a matter of like solving, uh, what, what's being called as like a multi-model problems and multi-model meaning, uh, like building models that understand both language and image and video. Um, and once we have that in place, then you can have a system that not only can generate things for you, but that can also critique them and, uh, and basically give you feedback and say, like, I generated something, but maybe. Uh, the pace is not quite right, uh, and then kind of do a second round and like uh, further iterate with you. Uh, so that's that's definitely uh, in the near future. Dude, that is so cool. Do you think that we're gonna get? Well, I'm I'm gonna stop asking the question that way. Do you think that we get to the point? Because eventually we all end up inside the computers, anyways. <laughs> but have you seen any projects where people are using? Uh, Neuralink type technology, brain scan reads to think of images and generate it, basically painting your imagination. Have you seen anything like that? There's been some work recently into um, being able to reconstruct images from, uh, I believe, fMRI scans. Uh, so essentially, you uh, the, the the setup is that you can uh, subjects like would think of a specific image and a specific subject. And then using kind of the signals extracted from uh, fMRI scan, you'll be able to recon- use an image emission model to reconstruct 
what the subject was thinking about. This is still very early uh, stage research. I don't expect that to become like a, a product that you can use anytime soon. Uh, but I do think eventually we're going to get the point where like this like thought to image or thought to video might become a possibility. Uh, it's not really the domain of research that we're actively focused on, but I've seen some research that seems kind of really promising on that front. I'm sure some governments would like that. <laughs> um, yeah, because that would actually be, that would show some really interesting truths about our universe, right? If I think of a red box and mentally imagine that and you scan my brain and then you think of the same image and scan your brain, if the model could come to the conclusion that we're both seeing the same object, with that would be very interesting information, would it not? You mean from the perspective of almost getting to a consensus for like how a thought translates into um, kind of visual imagination. Uh, yeah, and, like this is the, yeah. the mental representation of a red box to humans and it's firing similarly amongst all of us. That's, that'd be cool. That'd be weird. <laughs> what other, are you seeing any, you know, obviously you're in this industry and so you're always seeing the the latest cutting edge stuff and the experiments that people are running and you're keeping up with that. What have you seen that's given you like some pause? You've seen it and you're like, wow, that's actually pretty interesting or out there. From a perspective of uh, that something that's impressive or something that's yeah. like really compelling. Uh, something I'm very excited about is uh, coding assistance and language models applied to software engineering. So like with systems like Copilot and there's kind of some, a, a, a new kind of emerging set of tooling for that purpose. Uh, I, I really believe that programming in the future would look a lot more like you have an idea of an assistant design, uh, in your head and then you translate in, into, uh, implemented kind of version of it as quickly as possible. As, uh, and you can spend time like iterating on the actual design of the system versus spending time kind of iterating on the actual on the actual code and having to understand like the kind of deal with like the um, uh, specific idiosyncrasies of the programming language that you're using. Rather, it's going to become much more like being able to describe in natural language, like the kind of system, the kind of application that you want to build, and then um, and then get an initial version of it and then further iterate from there. So I'm very excited about tools like Cobalo that really speed up the kind of engineering time and let you get from like an idea to like a, a final output like way faster. <laughs> Josh, do you who was the guy we talked to the other day about Copilot that I disagreed with? Oh, that was a uh, Gall Seraf. Gall, I love you, Gall. Yeah, by yeah. the way, but yeah, we, <laughs> I had a great conversation because I firmly believe that it is massive value add that it's here today. That it, you could inject it into production workflows and save crazy time and energy and effort. And then there are some people like Gall who had who had some good points, but he just doesn't see it as like being there currently. Um, and and everybody has their own take on it, right? Uh, but but for me, I, I've I have used it and while it's not, I guess I'll back up for a second and maybe, maybe you can help me understand this thought, but that's why we explore and we can edit and everything. When people respond to me about this, cause I'm bullish on it. Like I like it. They typically, the, the, the biggest area of resistance I get is that because it's not perfect today, it's not there. 
Like because it's not perfect and because I can't sit down and just tell GPT to write me a world-class book that's competitive with Harry Potter in one prompt phrase that the technology isn't there yet. We almost, we almost imagine it as only existing in its most perfect ideal state. But that's not how anything ever works. How everything always works is it comes out, it's super rough, it can barely walk, you got, you know, your baby, it can't even feed itself and then it grows up and becomes a fully functioning person. So I just, I notice that some people respond like that and then other people respond um, being able to, the, to see the potential right from the beginning and get real excited. When people are learning about your technology and you get to see the comments online and you get to see people writing different articles. I'm sure there's some haters that say like, oh, you know, Runway's not there yet. or it's, uh, And then there's people that love it and unbelievable. How do you process and deal and sort of talk with yourself internally about the technology? Because you can see, you have the vision, you can see where it's going to go and you know where it's at today and you know where it came from. So how do you handle all of that? I think there's two parts of this. The, the first part is that... Um, it's it's better to look at the trajectory versus just looking at like taking one moment in time and seeing what the technology is. Like something that we saw even like in kind of 2018, 2019, when Ryan was just starting out, the results were not there at all. Like we have some videos that we uh, try to generate at that point that looked like extremely rough, like very low res. Uh, it was very difficult to imagine that we get to the results that you get today. But you could see that the resolution was getting like was doubling every year. You could see the fidelity was doubling every year. Uh, so it was there was no fundamental like reason why that couldn't keep con- like that couldn't continue. And at any given point, people could uh, could point at the flaws of the technology and say like like it's no it's never going to get there. But then we're seeing every year like the things the feedback that we're seeing from uh, from people about like the flaws of of the the outputs of the images. Uh, was becoming outdated very quickly. And so every, every year kind of, when you see that pattern again and again, at some point you kind of like assume that like things are gonna get better and you learn how to um, kind of respond to kind of those comments, which is saying, just just look at the trajectory, look like where we were like a few years ago, look at where we are today, uh, assume, extrapolate from this, like where we're gonna be in a few years. Uh, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to be clear that those limitations are not like fundamental limitations, but rather things that like we just need more engineering time, more maybe scaling those models to be able to solve. Um, the other side of it is that at Runway, we like philosophically are not envisioning a future where you, you type in a simple prompt and then you get back like a ready-made like to our phone that has like everything is perfect and everything expresses your vision from the prompt uh, perfectly. We see it always, it's, it's always going to be an iterative process because you don't quite, like when you're starting a new project, a creative project, you really don't know like how, like what you want to create fully. You have a very rough idea, very an outline or like specific aspects that you want to make sure are in the final output. But the other details are not yet determined until you actually sit down and you actually start like creating things. Uh, and so the way we see Runway is, it will just allow you to iterate and like explore ideas faster, but it's not going to come up with ideas for you. Uh, we don't we don't really see uh, our tool being used for kind of coming up with a vision of like uh, what you want to create. It's more like a multiplier of like what you of your uh, of your ability to turn your vision into final outputs. So because of that, like we never like I don't want us to get to a state where like you don't like 
you um uh those those models uh like take part in like actually coming up with ideas i think it's really it's really about empowering artists empowering creators to create more to create faster to create like to get their vision into uh, a funnel output in a much more kind of detailed like high fidelity way than ever before um yeah, I don't know if this this answers. Yeah, your that question. makes sense. Yeah, it does. I did want to touch on. I know as we're wrapping up here, we got you know, five minutes left or so because you have a hard stop. I did see a bullet point in the prep document that said Runway got the Late Show uh, on TV. The Late Show their edits down from five hours to five minutes, and I was hoping you could just tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Uh, so Runway's been used kind of variety of like uh, creative teams about media companies, ad agencies. Uh, like uh, filmmakers, uh, well, yeah. One of our favorite examples was uh, the VFX team behind the Late Show using Runway for uh, a lot of the sketches, comedy sketches uh, in the kind of Late Show. Um, and as you know, like those are like those episodes are being made like on like within the same day, and so the budget, like the 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 time at which they they can make them is like very. They need to work on like very accelerated uh, timelines. So they use specifically our rotoscoping tool, it's called green screen, and it allows you to very quickly separate foreground and background in a video. Um, and, and this is a very fundamental piece of like a lot of VFX work because you might want to replace the background from the subject. Uh, you might want to bring the subject to a different setting. It's a very common aspect in like a lot of like those kind of comedy skits. And they, they use runway and the, green, and the green screen tool in order to really speed up that process, which traditionally, uh, if you take more traditional kind of rotoscoping software, it, it's a very tedious process. So you need to go through every frame of the video, kind of manually annotate what's the foreground, what's background. Uh, and it can really be like cost and time prohibitive in terms of like executing a, a given project. Dude, that is amazing. And for anybody who's listening, you can go check it out. They have great examples, beautiful website, excellent branding. I always like when I see companies that have really good branding. Uh, the, the very visual examples all over your website of how people are using Runway and video production workflows and all of that. But man, we did it. Uh, we made a podcast, man. How do you feel? Feeling good. Thank you for the chat. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.